the battery industry and the raw materials industries, there's so much opportunity. There's opportunity for people and companies, governments in the coming decades. We're really just looking at the surface of what the future holds when it comes to this, this industry. This is The Interchange Recharged. I'm David Van Miller. Back in 2012, fewer than 120,000 EVs were sold worldwide. A decade later on, more than that are sold every week. Nearly 10% of global car sales were electric in 2021, four times the market share of 2019. In the first quarter of 2022, 2 million EVs were sold, representing a 75% year-on-year increase. In May last year, the International Energy Agency published their annual Global EV Outlook Report. As we near the release of the 2023 report, we thought we'd check in on the state of the EV market and see what's changed in the last nine months. The IRA, signed into law in August last year, contained numerous components focused on EVs, from tax credits to manufacturing incentives. How has that historic bill impacted the global market? Today on the podcast, we look at the developments in EVs around the world. From supply chain bottlenecks to material recycling, we'll look through the windshield to 2030, now rapidly approaching on the road ahead. The last nine months have not been plain sailing for EVs after steady growth. The part they'll play in the energy transition is significant, so we'd better get it right. I don't even know if the technologies that will emerge as the most commonly adopted are the best. They might just be the ones that are thoroughly entrenched for whatever reason, whether it's raw material availability, technological risk, but there is definitely likely going to be a few winners and a few losers when it comes to technology. And the winners are ultimately the ones that are entrenched and the OEMs can learn to live to rely on. That's Michael Insulin, commercial VP at Electra. Electra builds EV batteries, leveraging their own mining assets to produce cobalt, large-scale lithium-ion batteries, and nickel. Electra is, uh, is a company which was founded quite a few years back now. It's developing and building a variety of battery materials assets. The biggest one that we're developing is in Ontario, Canada. It is uh, called Battery Materials Park. And what we're building there is essentially a um, two lines. One is a line to produce battery grade cobalt sulfate, necessary really to produce the high density lithium ion batteries containing cobalt and nickel. And the other line is a recycling line, which uh, takes uh, black mass from shredded batteries and extracts the valuable critical materials from the lithium-ion batteries, including nickel, cobalt, lithium, manganese, graphite, etc., and then reuse that in the manufacturing of batteries elsewhere. I'm also pleased to be joined by Igor Prohatsev, Senior Research Analyst at Wood McKenzie. We're very optimistic in, in sense of future development because if we look back even a couple of years, Electric vehicles were probably still in the proof of concept stage. Now everyone is pretty much sure that it's coming for real. Igor reports on battery raw materials demand, provides modeling, and focuses his research on EV, battery, and downstream supply chain markets. Igor, great to have you here. 
2022 saw a, a record year in adoption uh, for EVs. Uh, how do you see the EV market going forward over the next few years? Thank you, David. That's a really good question. Indeed, we saw, for the first time, actually, we saw more than a million units on a monthly basis sold in the past year for three times already, uh, stating it's a, actually a record. And by 2030, we're seeing huge opportunity for development, particularly for, for battery electric vehicle and plug-in hybrids uh, that will probably be in the range of 35 to 40% uh, penetration on the total passenger market. So it's safe to say that we're entering the phase of uh, steady growth for the next decade. Now, Michael, uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is the supply chain issues for the battery raw materials particularly in light of, of the forecast of EVs going forward. 2022, again, was was a record year for, for adoption. Uh, how are you seeing the supply chain uh, for the battery raw materials play out? And are you seeing any issues? Because it, it looks like we haven't seen a tremendous spike in costs uh, for the raw materials, but do you see that changing? Yeah, I mean, if you uh, go back over the past five, six, seven years, you've had these momentary spikes of nickel and lithium and and cobalt. But as with all things commodity related, uh, these industries are are cyclical. When prices are high, uh, more uh, supply comes on stream, although it might take some time. And when prices are low, uh, you know, supply uh, shuts down, resulting in prices going higher, of course. And it's this continuous uh, cycle that goes on in the commodities industry. The task of supplying this EV revolution with batteries is a is a mammoth task. I mean, I, I, I drive an electric vehicle and I bought it more than three years ago now. And I decided to buy the electric vehicle with most batteries out there uh, at the time, right? So this was a, was a while ago. But you know, if you do the maths, I mean, the electric vehicle I drive has uh, just short of, I think, 5,000 cylindrical cells. And you know, you're selling electric vehicles in the millions already you know exceeding 1 million per month for the past what is it Diego uh, for four or five months with the exception of uh, January it's it's a it's a mammoth task to not only supply the the raw material units but the raw material units in the right form and you know one of the reasons for instance that cobalt has you know it has suffered in the past uh, uh, nine nine or so months it has uh, gone down significantly it's not really a uh, sort of surplus battery grade sulfate story. It's really surplus um, cobalt intermediates story. You know, I think that replicates in in many of the uh, the other sectors. So what you need essentially going forward in order to sustain the growth in the EV sector is not only primary extraction, but you also need the right refineries to produce the battery grade materials from these extracted minerals. And moreover, you probably ideally and we will, I'm sure, talk about this with regards to the IRA, etc. You need these refineries to be located in the right place geographically as well. To echo that thought, in the past five years, cathode market, if we're talking about cathode active materials in, in absolute terms, increased over a million, probably a million and a half tons. And for next 10 years, it will be a additional 5 million tons of cathode active material that would be needed to fill in the 
requirements for electrification across electric vehicles and energy storage. But EVs are, of course, 90, maybe 95% of, of that amount. So if you can imagine uh, this, this amount of material, it, it mind, it's, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and, and for this, I absolutely agree with, with, with Michael. It's a, uh, it's a great task. Because even on, on, the, on the scale of additional 1 million ton, we've already seen some issues with the supply chains. And even though we, we know what the concept is, there's, I believe, still more to come if we're talking about five additional million tons on an annual basis. Hey, Igor, what, what are some of the challenges on the supply chain uh, that you're seeing specifically and, and what can be done to help alleviate some of it? There's really a whole range of problems that can arise in in the industry uh, because there are like some bottlenecks that we can't imagine happening at, at, at this point. And uh, if you look at the uh, sort of all the needed components, really a lot things should meet in one place in order for firstly battery cell and then battery electric vehicle to be produced. Um, I mean, there, there was an opinion about uh, copper foil shortages, uh, and you really need up to several years to establish and uh, ramp up and, and start to produce uh, copper foil that, that can go into battery cell production, meaning that we need to think about the needed supply several years in advance. And with all respect, not not everyone thinking about this kind of things in on a on a market perspective, but these things happening is actually like can cause very dramatic uh, issues in the in the overall production processes. Now, Yegor, I mean, there's a there's a number of different battery technologies out there, and that technology continues to evolve. And a number of companies are entering the market with with their different solutions, which is causing the automakers to have to select kind of which type of batteries that they're going to go with. How do you see that impacting the market going forward? And do you see some type of standardization going forward? I mean, with the realization that newer and better technologies can come out, but it seems like the market may be starting to fragment a lot more, which could pose challenges uh, for further adoption going forward. So what are your thoughts on the impact there? Well, there is indeed a number of technologies currently used in electric vehicles. And we see a main three families of, of cathodes to dominate the market in, in the coming decade. There is, of course, the, the ongoing battle between iron-based and nickel-based chemistries. From from middle of decade and forward, uh, we think that manganese-rich uh, cathodes will play a more important role um, in in field of electric vehicles. They they might present a uh, competitive advantage of, of higher voltage and manganese being overall more abundant. But still, of course, there's there there might be issues with the with the battery grade materials. However, it's not only about lithium-ion anymore, because it, already a year ago, uh, CATL presented sodium-based technologies. And despite lower energy density and, and power characteristic compared to lithium-ion, they might play an important role in, in electrification of, of the transport. Simply from, from the cost perspective and availability perspective, 
it might play even a crucial role in smaller vehicles and and lower lower cost segment where basically in terms of units most of of market is is uh, concentrated so it still raises a lot of questions whether it's going to be an improvement of sodium ion as we know it now or it's going to be a combination of both as CATL presented still a lot of questions and a lot of answers but from from the perspective of availability of different technologies it's definitely a good thing to have more options rather than fewer I don't disagree with uh, with Yegor's view and Yegor is uh, and Wood Mac, you know, full of market experts, uh, difficult to agree with. But I think, you know, in the long run, if you look at this industry, one way to reduce costs, which is always uh, in the back of the mind of any OEM uh, out there, is really to um, to commoditize the uh, the the battery input. So actually, you know, that's an argument to have less. Uh, flexibility in the types of batteries and types of materials that you can use and just more commoditization of the batteries essentially uh, and that also makes cell assembly a lot more easier because people can learn from past experience and they just build and replicate the same factories and same cell assembly lines that they've already constructed so that is an argument against uh, variability in, in in types of batteries and and so on and so forth but i i do agree with diego that you know uh, there's going to be a lot of maybe a trial and error uh, in these uh, this you know over the next decade and what you will likely end up with is the preferred battery solution for each of these different segments that that Yegor uh, pointed out and just to echo that thought for example Volkswagen and and the Volvo as far as i remember at least publicly presented an idea of of unified cell format that is uh, chemistry agnostic so it might call not only for the for the cathode chemistry itself used but everyone's actually thinking about closing the loop off of the consumption uh, cycle and uh, unification in this sense standardization in the sense might actually be more appealing for end of life and and recycling disassembly processes uh, but you clearly need a transparent and uh, well-recorded passport of, of that battery to know what's actually goes goes inside in order to rightly process it uh, reaching end of life. And that was kind of the challenge that I was that I was trying to highlight. But I mean, it sounds like we're still in the early stages of the development of these different technologies uh, for batteries. But over, you know, Michael, as you said, the next decade, you'll probably see some of these technologies and compositions emerge as the the best and then you'll kind of see a little bit more of a commoditization of that market going forward it's just kind of these early stages when you're trying to develop that kind of clear winner uh going forward yeah and i i don't even know if the technologies that will emerge as the the most commonly adopted are the best they might just be the ones that are thoroughly entrenched for whatever reason whether it's raw material availability technological risk uh, or anything else, uh, but there is definitely likely, as you said, uh, David, uh, going to be a few winners and a few losers when it comes to technology. And the winners are ultimately the ones that are entrenched and uh, the OEMs uh, can learn to live to rely on. So, Michael, you brought up the IRA uh, earlier. Um, you know, obviously, that was a big step forward 
uh, for a number of different areas. But how are you seeing that impact your business, particularly like that there's still some questions around uh, with the IRS and the exact composition of what's going to be included for things. And right now, everything's kind of included uh, as they haven't come out with specific compositions. But overall, how are you seeing the impact of the IRA on your business? So the the IRA didn't come out of a vacuum. I mean, this is something that was discussed long before the uh, the U.S. government decided to uh, even uh, propose the Inflation Reduction Act, I, I presume. Uh, China has dominated the lithium-ion battery supply chain everywhere, with one exception, which is raw materials. Uh, since the uh, you know since the uh, certainly the last uh, uh, ten uh, years, ten fifteen years even, um, and they've grown very rapidly. And you look at the industry today, and it's really an Asian uh, industry uh, for the most part. It's China and Korea and Japan uh, being the three powerhouses in lithium-ion um, battery industry. But China has that very elusive middle segment essentially tied up in the country and that is where we need to um, if, if you are going to build a sustainable electric vehicle industry in north america you really do need to bring the whole supply chain over either to north america itself and we at electra are helping with that uh, as much as we can uh, or you need to bring uh, the battery supply chain to uh, to friendly countries that can be relied upon in the in the long term. So, uh, David, you asked how it impacts us. And I would say Electra already had wind in the sails prior to the Inflation Reduction Act being announced because the need to uh, to onshore the supply chain was, was clear amongst most of the uh, industry participants. But obviously, it's, uh, it's put a lot more wind in our sails uh, since the IRA was uh, announced, that's that's for sure. Igor, on that point, just taking a step back, and it's a question that I've kind of had as we continue down this road um, and, and develop these new technologies, and obviously various components going into the batteries. Uh, what do you see overall as a geopolitical risk uh, going forward, particularly with with Michael's comments about bringing you know the the domestic production resources, everything more. Um, more in-house. Yes, well, geopolitical risks in in such a policy might be reliant on a on a, on, on supply of a particular parts of, of batteries. For example, anode production is the most dependent on on China currently, and of course, there's trends already to even particular even even by Chinese producers to to move production outside of China and closer to to end markets. But that would still mean that companies with the with with roots will, would be dominating in in other parts of the world. From the perspective of technological availability uh, and ability to scale up domestic production for for lithium-ion batteries, that of course would be more dependent on uh, on material availability. And judging by announcements last summer. North American producers would uh, prefer nickel-based technologies more to, to, to other families. And judging by the current pipeline of projects, it would be the, the most dominant uh, technology on, on the market for the coming years. And, and you know, there's a 
not not many years ago now. I mean, what is it, two or three years ago, where where China essentially uh, put a big scare into the U.S. regarding rare earths, right? Um, so this is not uh, impossible to see the same thing in any of the battery, um, other battery materials or in technologies. And I think that's why you see an obvious coalition between between the U.S. and Europe, uh, the European Union forming at present um, and it's really uh, sort of uh, to 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 fight the might of china uh, in critical raw materials processing and batteries uh, of course but also uh, the china's might in a variety of other uh, segments of uh, the global uh, e- economy and you know the importance of Batteries in all of this should not be underestimated. Yeah. So just as I look at the uh, continuing acceleration of of battery technology, that was just one of the things is securing that the critical raw materials to make sure that we don't find ourselves in a in a crunch at some point. But I think one of the things that obviously can help with that is is the recycling aspect. And so, Michael, I know that you guys uh, do recycling, and that is something that continues to evolve. Uh, the technology there also continues to evolve. Uh, to be able to extract as many of the raw materials out of the recycling as possible. Uh, what are you guys doing on that front? Well, I completely agree with you. Recycling is necessary, but not sufficient. What I mean by that is you, in, in, in this very rapid growth that we see in the battery industry today and in the coming uh, couple of decades at the very least, you do need Absolutely, you need uh, fresh raw materials entering the the industry, and that requires mining and primary refining. But long term, and also supplementary to the short term, is recycling, and recycling is is necessary. I mean, what we're trying to do here, all of us, is trying to improve our uh, environment, right? Reduce carbon emissions, uh, particulate matter emissions. Uh, etc. So you need to uh, do that uh, with the environment in in mind, and you know, hundred uh, percent part of the solution is uh, is is recycling. Electra started uh, recycling lithium-ion batteries, or an intermediate product formed by shredding lithium-ion batteries, which is called uh, black mass. We started that at the tail end of uh, 2022, and we're currently running that um, on a demonstration basis at uh, the site in Ontario. It's, I would say it's going very well and I do believe it is the first commercial plant scale demonstration uh, run that has been done in North America. I could be wrong on that front, but I do believe I'm, I'm, I'm right. Um, and we've proven successful extracting manganese copper but uh, most importantly, nickel, cobalt, and uh, as of uh, press release uh, today, uh, we uh, have successfully uh, started extracting lithium in the form of lithium uh, carbonate. Is that economic at this point? I mean, I'm assuming that you know you continue to get the supply uh, for the recycling more than you know there was five years ago, and then going forward, I expect there to be more. And is that economic now to where it's scalable? Recycling is definitely scalable and it is definitely profitable under most circumstances. And I think the proof is in the pudding in the sense that you have uh, not only had a bunch of 
recycling startups uh, like ourselves in North America and elsewhere, but you have uh, long-standing, uh, very big recycling companies operating in Asia already, whether that is in Korea or in Japan uh, or in China. And they sustain their operations uh, on the basis of um, uh, recycling operations, right? So yeah, you can definitely make this uh, profitable. Everything depends on the differentiable differential between the raw material input cost and what you get out of rather the price you're able to command for the uh, materials that you extract. Now, the materials that you extract, most of those materials are very uh, sort of transparently priced, whether it's, uh, you know, the LME for nickel or uh, a uh, price reporting uh, agency for um, lithium or, or cobalt. Where there is much less transparency is in the battery lithium-ion battery cell and also black mass markets. Uh, that is a part of the industry that's still trying to find uh, solid ground and you know trying to find a way to price things fairly. Uh, but when that's done, uh, you know the refiners in the middle uh, they will be making a uh, profit commensurate to the the effort in doing what they're doing. Um, so. Um, Absolutely, this is a growth industry, and you know, generally, uh, people who say recycling is impossible or recycling is difficult. Absolutely, it is. It is technically challenging, but it is uh, perfectly feasible from a technical perspective. We are doing it, so are many other companies, and in the future, there will be many more companies doing it. So, Igor, looking forward over the next decade or so, uh, what do you see are some of the biggest risks facing the uh, battery raw material industry? I would say the the biggest risk that we we didn't uh, mention yet is is about jumping to to production faster than than it's needed because just just because the industry is growing so fast. We've seen uh, several huge recalls from EV producers, and uh, that that was companies that has been in business for, for 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 years, and they definitely have quite a mature view on 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 the technology itself. And uh, apparently, there are factors that we don't know yet about utilization of batteries in in a wider scale on a wider market in different. In, in different environments as well, that, that 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 might be another factor. With the more types of batteries available, uh, it's it's it definitely the the odds are increasing that we still will discover some some underlying processes that aren't safe or not very reliable. I I just want to comment on uh, what what you said about recalls, and I I don't mean to uh, dismiss that thought at all, and it's absolutely valid. But I mean, I'm venturing a guess here, and I haven't done the calculation, but you know, the internal combustion engine industry is much much more mature than electric vehicle industry. I think we can agree with that, and recalls there are extraordinarily common. I do think electric vehicles have gotten tremendously. I mean, it's it's weird at uh, how the media picks up on every little thing that goes wrong in the electric vehicle industry. 
and have sort of forgotten about the internal combustion engine vehicle in the past few years, at least, whether it's a car catching fire or a recall or crash statistics. These still occur, I believe, to a much greater extent in the internal combustion engine vehicle industry, but they've sort of stopped reporting on it, or at least you don't see it as you know, front page news on BBC or MSN or CNN or whatever you get your news, uh, as much as you, um, you see the electric vehicle uh, media, whether positive or negative. Sure, that's like if you look from it on the on the overall like statistical landscape, that that is actually true. Uh, the the thought I had is actually, if you're a small battery company just starting in the industry, uh, and and given that you well, let, let's assume that you have like a very promising but not tested technology, that that would basically mean a like ruined business for you if if, if you're like battery being recalled so that's that that's probably more of the angle that i was i was referring to because there well still if you look at the at the market structure it's dominated by five ten companies and given that it's a quite a like technologically challenging industry to to start from the scratch without any prior expertise the the most likely path would be evolving from from kind of a research facility that that might be able to scale up and there's a huge difference between lab scale production and even like small scale automated production line that goes to to some some niche applications so it might be a just a, a good technology that that might be ruined because of a incident so maybe that's that sort of thing that i had in mind yeah i i agree um it sort of reminded me of you know the electric vehicle industry has become sort of where you know silicon valley tech people meet you know the hardcore miners and refiners and metallurgical engineers of this uh, this world and uh, I don't think that's always an easy match because tech people seem, well, they have experience in moving things along very quickly. Uh, and of course, they, they know it's difficult to assemble in the case of, for instance, Tesla or Rivian or Lucid or any of the Chinese electric vehicle startups or any of the major OEMs that are historically ICE vehicle manufacturers. They know how difficult it is to scale up, as you say, Yegor, uh, an auto assembly line. But I still don't think they quite understand how to close the loop here. What well, we started talking about, how long it takes to actually build a mine or build a refinery, the environmental regulations that need to be, uh, that you need to abide by, the costs involved, the studies required. That doesn't happen swiftly because it can't happen swiftly. And so I, I think that's the major, major clash now that's happening in the industry. So Michael, in light of all that, what do you see as the biggest opportunities uh, in the industry going forward? It's a good question because there, the, the battery industry and the raw materials industry is just, it's, there's so much opportunity. So, you know, pinpointing what's the biggest opportunity is, is, is tricky. There's opportunity for, for people and companies, and there will, be continu- there will continue to be opportunities for people, companies, governments in the coming decades we're really just looking at the surface of what the future holds when it comes to this this industry and there's no i think 
turning back here. Everything new will contain batteries essentially going forward. I mean, you wouldn't run, you wouldn't run as Elon Musk once said, a laptop computer on an internal combustion engine basis for it to, you know, emit particulate matter and CO2 and so on in the office space. There's just so much opportunity in this industry. It does help to be in the right place at the right time, as it, with everything else. And from Electra's perspective, that is a fully permitted site in Canada. Uh, it, it is uh, you know, very, very friendly to both the US and to uh, Europe, and of course to uh, Korea and uh, Japan as well. So you know, the biggest consuming uh, areas and some powerhouses in the um, electric vehicle and, um, and, and battery uh, space. So we have fully permitted sites and we're already well on our way to start production of cobalt sulfate, which is critical to this industry. Uh, and we have already started on a demonstration basis our recycling activities. So we're really just going to plug away and move our projects and developments forward and build the what I hope to be a, a big company in the battery material space. Well, great. Well, thank you guys both for joining us today. It's been a, a great discussion and I appreciate the time. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Thanks to Michael and Yegor for joining us. I'm David Banmiller, and this is The Interchange Recharged. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for topics we should look at on future episodes. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Interchange Show. If you've not listened to our sister podcast, The Energy Gang, we had an in-depth look at the renaissance of nuclear power back in January. Do go listen to that, as we'll be taking a similar look into the topic on an interchange show in the coming weeks. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. See you next time.